prophet to actually. So I don't know who asked this question. Maybe the person is here. So even before Jefferson is a is uh is in the he was in the first century. Before the first century, there has been document that shows us between this time there has been no one who actually the prophet of God has spoke. That's why scholars called it the silent 400 years. You understand? So when Jefferson is coming to talk again that between this there is no any prophet succession, this is just re-echoing what we know. Are we together? Again, I mentioned somebody in, in history also. I mentioned one person, a Roman general, Titus, who it is clear, is on record, that aside Jefferson's being a historian, a prominent historian, but once you type his name on Google, just after you go back home, just type his name on Google, you'll know about him very well. Once we know on record that that Roman general, you understand, you know, as in the then world, the first uh, century, Roman were the one, uh, the world power. So, and we know how they are the one who destroyed the temple. Are we together? Are we probably student? Yes, they are the one who destroyed the temple and scattered that. So there are a number of things which at the end of the day. So if we know that the Romans now give Jephthah back, which is on record, the, um, the entire Jewish Tanakh, that's the the entire Old Testament, that's why yesterday I said he's also invalidate what Jefferson is saying because and also made him a, a reliable source because we knew he had all those documents. So, as I said, Josephus was just re-echoing what already has been known. He's not the first one to just we to say that actually in those years there has been no prophet of God that, that have spoken. Are we together? Amen? Yes. So we would um, embark on a heavy journey. I trust the Lord that we will be able to reach the place where I prepared because I will be glad if we reach there. That will give us an overview of some of the contention we've been having. Hallelujah. So let me begin by introducing us what we will look at today. The first thing we will look at today is the questions about the New Testament canon. So just bear with me because we're going to look at a lot of history, but then again, looking at the word itself, just like we did yesterday. So first we'll look at some of the questions about the New Testament canon. Then we will look at the New Testament canon. And after we look at it, what is it? And then we will look at something very important, which we call the Gnostics Gospels. And then we will look at the criteria for canonicity. How we are the Bible compile? What are the, the things that they have to use to be able to vet 
those things that are not of God. Are we together? Then who are those people also that did it? Because we are going to look at it in, under the New Testament canon. As we continue. Then are some books of the Bible lost? That is, are some of the canon, are some of the inspired of God lost? Are we together? Or is it, is this uh, the word of God we have all in totality what God has ever inspired? Do we have other inspired work of God that we cannot account for? Amen? Very important. And then we will also look at those, the citation and the allusions of some outside materials in the Bible shows that those sources are also scriptures. Because if you read the Bible, you will discover that there has been some citation of external sources, other sources. I know some of us have not been paying attention, but today we will see that there are some places in scripture that make reference to other sources outside. Amen? Now, the question is that those materials that have been cited either by the prophet or apostles, the question is that are those materials also inspired are they also canon? Amen? Or canonical, uh, canonical? Then I think the last part is where we'll spend. I have to talk about this because it's very important. Some responses to Da Vinci Code. I know some of us have known about the movie. Probably we have not read about the book because I know movies is just easier to watch. This is one of the big problems. But let me start from the beginning. And this is what we will talk about today. I just hope that we can be able to finish all this. I truly trust the Lord. Let's see how we will go. Now, the first is the questions about the New Testament canon. Now, much of the modern concern regarding the New Testament canon can be attributed to the book published in 2003. When I mean modern, modern, currently, all the dust. The, the hype, the problems concerning the challenge uh, regarding the, the New Testament particularly is because of this book, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. And he raised a lot of things. Dan Brown depended on the earlier bestseller of the 1980s. So there's a book that was published in the 1980s. A book called The Holy... Um, Sorry, there's a, a missing there. The Holy Blood, the Holy Grail. You understand? The Holy Blood, the Holy Grail by Michael Benjamin, Richard Lane, and uh, Henry Lincoln. These three people published this book earlier on. So all the, most of the claims that Da Vinci Code made or Dan Brown made were actually already published. So he was not the first one that, that began to make such kinds of claims. So... These as well as other sensational publications. So we have a lot of publications. We have documentaries. And we also have films such as the uh, success, Last Temptation of Christ. Itself based on the novel Kazantaskis. Frequently focused on opposing the biblical truth. So it's not just only, we have a number of uh, publications both in terms of videos and this and that challenge the 
New Testament canon. And they made a whole lot of money because we have a lot of skeptics, we have atheists, we have a lot of people who want to prove the Bible wrong. So they are just glad to jump on some of their materials and they make a hell lot of money, truly speaking. So particularly, I'm going to focus on the Da Vinci Code because he echoes all those documents that I mentioned. So I'll focus particularly on Da Vinci because he made the topic more popular, the subject more sensational and how people talk about it. Most of us probably will not have had all the problems, if not because of the Da Vinci Code, particularly even the film that was uh, produced based according to the book. And so particularly Da Vinci Code, although a novel tries to rewrite the history of Christians or the history of Christianity, the early Christianity. So what he tries to do is just to rewrite history. You understand? And the origin of the New Testament canon. So he's trying to, there are so many claims he made just to try to rewrite history. We call those kinds of people, especially those who want to rewrite history, the revisionist. Those who want to go back and revision some of the history, whether of a country, whether of a whatever, to try to rewrite it based to suit either a personal purpose, a political agenda, or a whatever. Whatever malicious agenda is just to rewrite what is known. Amen? Are we together? Yes. So just follow me. We are just moving cruisily. I mean, gradually. Brown talks about the process of canonicity. When it happened. Who made it happen. What books were left out. And why they, left, they were left out. You know, it's amazing that somebody who doesn't understand, he's not even a historian, you understand, so to say. Uh, although it's, it's, a, it's a, and I understand why they had to make it fictional, because sometimes when you make fiction, there's a way you confuse people in between. As if it's your it's imagination, you're just imagining things and just writing. But then at the beginning of the Da Vinci Code, he wrote that whatever it is written based according to the architecture, the ancient uh, things that they were based on accurate records. You understand? So we're going to see that. That's why in the last part I said a response to the Da Vinci Code. There are some of the things we're going to see. It's very important that we speak that. Now the Da Vinci Code, as I said, although it's a novel, it's very provocative. If you are a Christian, if you read it, and some of the things, I know some of what, it just be, ah, ah. Is this what this person will be saying concerning my Jesus? You know, it's just disgusting. So it's provocative, actually. And, however, it is unfounded piece of work, a perfect description of inaccuracy and historical inadequacy. It's truly, if you're going to look at a perfect distortion to history, it's what Da Vinci Code is. You understand? And because many believers are not well informed, Da Vinci Code claims caused them to panic. You know, there is this panic that came when the, when the publication was made, especially when the video also was made. You understand? People were just panic, meeting pastors, asking them questions. You understand? It's not in this part of the world because we are not in the Western world. You understand? But people were asking questions. Is it true? Is it true? But because we are not well taught and we are not well informed, so it caused a lot of panic in the church. And some people, some of the claims he was making, Dan Brown, 
you were hearing it from the first time. What? Is this true? But soon after his publication, questions about historical claims of Da Vinci Code began to, to be considered very seriously, and people begin to ask. The first question is, is there any truth in what it says about Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Were there really secret gospels? That's what we call the Noxious Gospels. I'm, going, I'm coming to that. The secret gospels that told the secret of their physical union. Were they really married? Because there are some claims that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. And they had a child. And they even have a descendants even today. Some of them are in, in France, some are in England, and some are in Scotland. <laughs> so were they really married? Did Mary really give birth to a child whose holy lineage has been preserved down to today? Is Mary Magdalene supposed to be the leader of the new church? That's one of the claims. But the misogynist disciples took her position because he claimed that that Mary Magdalene was supposed to be the leader of the church. That's what Jesus wanted. So, but the disciples now, who are strongly, they have a strong prejudice against women, actually maneuvered and outwit her and then took her position because Jesus was so famous that day. So, if you want to do things now, just the same way today, if you want to be famous, just went and see, I mean, just go and see someone who is also famous and just say we were together. <laughs> Amen? Now, did the Emperor Constantine suppress the other gospel and create the Christian Bible? Because this is one of his claims that single-handedly the Emperor Constantine was the one who particularly compiled these uh, 27 books of the New Testament. In a meeting, he sat down and arranged because he felt then he just get converted and that he felt that Jesus was famous and Christianity is going to, is a rising religion as a then. And if he will do that, he, is, he will solidify his own power. And so for his own agenda and political reasons, he now made Christianity the state religion and also now compiled the Bible in the sign to this 27 and remove those other ones that portrayed Jesus as a, as a human being. Did he eliminate, that's the constant time, the divine feminine from Christianity, promote the masculine Jesus to the realm of divinity, and so change the tenor of Christian or Christianity for all time? Has this knowledge been kept secret from the general public over the centuries and is known only to the special initiates? Because one of the claims was that this truth has been suppressed so that nobody will know for history. And truly, there are so many things we don't know about this problem of, um, we're going to see it, this problem where all the Da Vinci Code and the rest jump on, begin to come up by the discovery of the Noxious Gospels, you understand, in Egypt, which we're going to look at it. These are materials that has never been seen in history. They were discovered, and now they present other Gospels 
that which we never know before. So this was their claim that those materials were suppressed so that the truth will not be known. Amen? Now we're going to look at them also. Now the essence of this teaching is to give us a very foundational truth which is very, very important for us to see and to understand. Amen? Now the claim by those who oppose the truth is that the initiates who have this secret knowledge, you remember they said they hide it and only the secret is known to some initiates. And so they hide it from the general public. And so this knowledge, they claim that they claim by those who oppose the truth that those people, of course, the Da Vinci Code, you understand, the Holy Grail, uh, uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and so, and so many of those uh, materials, you understand, they said that is that the initiate who have this secret knowledge are found in many traditional secret organizations such as the Freemasons and the Knights Templar. So these are the only people that knew about that. You understand? So if you are not part of these people, you will not know that this secret exists. And then at the heart of the so-called secret knowledge are the various doctrines and practice, practices collectively known as Gnosticism. That's where the word Gnosticism gospel comes from. Amen? Yes. The claim was that the process of the Bible collection was self-selecting. I've already mentioned it. That is, it's only one person that did that. And then, that the modern Bible we have was compiled and edited by men who possessed a political agenda. And at the center of it is Constantine. You understand? To promote the divinity of Christ because they felt, according to their claim, that if you present Jesus as a human being, he won't make waves. You understand? So you have to present him as he's only divine. So don't present his humanity. Unfortunately, they don't even know that if you reject his humanity, you are a demon. <laughs> Amen? So, that to promote his divinity of the man Jesus Christ and use his influence to solidify their power base. Amen? In Da Vinci Code, is at page 234. So I'll be making quotation of the Da Vinci Code. You understand? Don't worry. Of the Da Vinci Code, some of the pages, because these are history, so you can verify it. You understand? Are we together? Amen. Now, the question is that, are all these claims true? That's the question. If somebody asks, just like they met one of the nurses, here, met my wife and was saying, Magdalene, oh, do you know about the Magdalene that was the uh, wife of Jesus? And started just bombarding her with information. And certainly she must have worn the Da Vinci coat because that's where she got her information. You understand? What will you have said? And this is why it's important for us to talk about this. Are there other books that should be viewed as scriptures but have been excluded from the Bible? When we are the 27 books of the New Testament compiled, how were these books compiled? Why did other books didn't quite make it into the New Testament canon? 
Now, let's look at some of these questions. So, all these things we will do today is just to address some of these problems that we have touched. Amen? Yes, the New Testament uh, canon. Now, one of the misconceptions uh, of those who oppose the truths is that the apostles never, that is, they never knew that they were writing scriptures and that the recipients of such scriptures never knew also what they received were scriptures. That is, there were all, a lot of books in the New Testament. That was the claim of the Da Vinci Code. That there were oh, more than 80 Gospels. That they just picked few of them. Particularly the four Gospels. Because they present Jesus as a divine being. And eliminate his humanity. Unfortunately, I think those people, is either they don't read or they are mentally blind. Because the four Gospels clearly we will see that depict Jesus not just only as divine, but also as human. Are we together? Amen. Now, because of this, because if you are the one who opposes the truth, if you put up this claim, it will help you to support your truth. Because if even the believers in the, in the, in the first century didn't even understand which one is uh, scriptures, which one is canon, which one is inspired, which one is uninspired. There are plenty of things. Then it will, it will make them promote what they are bringing up to say that, yeah, yeah, they truly select the few ones for a political agenda. But we shall see, this is a complete fallacy. And the Da Vinci Court invented that until the time of the constant time when he commissioned and financed the new Bible. There was no canon. Constantine is far later in life. It was around the fourth century. So, you mean we don't know right from the beginning, the first century, second century, third? We don't even know that there were a canon. Until Constantine now organized a meeting and said, this time around, we need to provide something that will guide Christians. <laughs> Hallelujah. Of course, it's an error, a huge error. Now, listen to these words of the apostles. Write in what the apostle wrote. He already know that he was writing scriptures. That claim that the apostle never knew that they were writing scriptures is wrong. Now, look at what the apostle says, Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are commandments of the Lord. So right from the beginning, when the apostle was writing, he knew he was writing the commandment of the Lord. So that's already, he knew it was, it's not, it's not like other writings. Mm -mm, mm -mm. He knew he was writing inspired words. And those who received it at that time also knew that they received scriptures, not just some other writings of men. So this indicates that the apostles knew they were writing the scriptures. And those who received it at that time, those who received these letters, 
knew exactly that those writings they received were canon. Now let's read this one again. Apostle Peter. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 to 16. These are men in the first century. When this one was written, Peter said, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our brother Paul. So that means Peter has been reading Paul's uh, uh, writings. He said, just as our brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He said he writes the same way in all his letters. He writes the same way in all his letters. Are we together? He says, speaking in them of this matter, his letters contain some of the things that are heard that are hard, like my 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 exploit. You know the way if you say hard, she said daddy is hard. You understand? <laughs> you understand? That's the way she pronounced things. You just be wondering, is it us that have been living together in this house together? <laughs> now, look at what um, Peter said. He said his letters, Paul letters, contain some things that are hard to understand. He said, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. That means Peter was recognizing that the letters of Paul are scriptures. But again, there are other scriptures. Amen. That is, they are doing to this as they do to other scriptures. So, as at that moment, the apostles knew what they were writing was scriptures. And there are, this one proof to show to us that there are other scriptures aside even the writings of Paul. Are we together? But I want you to know something. He said, which ignorant and unstable people. The writers of the Holy Grail, the Holy Blood, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the writer of the Da Vinci Code, are they part of this group? Because they want to distort If you don't understand, come out and say, I don't understand. Are we together? Amen. Now, furthermore, historical records shows that. This is from the scripture, so let's look at from historical records. Understand? That the New Testament canon was used and spread by the early Christians. Remember, already we've seen it even in New Testament, we'll see it. That if you send a letter to this church, they will say, send it to another church so that they will, they will read it. Amen? So not just only that they received, the original recipient received it, but they also passed it to other places. So this is not just only in the Bible, but other historical records shows. Now, let's begin by some of the early Christians in the first century. The, one of them is Polycarp. You understand? In AD 25, 125, possibly this Polycarp is the apostle of, I mean, the disciple of John, who wrote one of the letters that has survived. There's one of the letters that Polycarp wrote that has survived till today. You understand? So, 
it proved because from his writings and from a connection, possibly he must be an apostle, I mean a disciple of Apostle John. We saw that he quoted the Ephesians twice in his writing because his writing survived. So we saw this was the person in that time. They were, he quoted Ephesians twice, referring it as sacred scriptures. We have another person. This one means, this C means, uh, the circus means that around, that is, you're not particularly sure of the exact date. So CAD means around that 100, I mean 150. Justin quoted the scriptures on 16 to 17 occasions and called them the memos of the apostles. The memos of the apostles. This is on record. This is you can search this. This is historical. You don't need the Bible to know this. You can go and search it. Amen. We have another one around AD 180. Irenaeus. He wrote about the fourfold form of the gospel, which today uh, the church regarded as this is referring to the four gospels. I mean, you understand? The four gospel that we have today in the canon. Now, then Eusebius, one of the interesting uh, personalities, around AD 320 to 330, as at that moment, because these are believers, you know, believers in every part of the world, you understand? This person recognized 22. We have 27, right? At that time, he recognized 22 of them as canon, that is, as scriptures. This was the first time, not just only people are quoting, but they are beginning to gather them together and instruct believers, this is the one you should read. These are the ones that are canon. Are we together? And then he is doubtful and didn't include these five. When we come to the criteria for canonicity, you understand why Eusebius was doubtful about these five at the beginning. And uh, by the way, up to today, these five, the church have not uh, concluded. There is still argument on who wrote these books and who are the real authors of those books. One of the criteria of canonicity is must be apostolic. That it, it must be written by an apostle or a close companion of the apostle. Are we together? So, first and foremost, they first have to vet a book, whether it's canon or not, by this criteria. So, they will sit down and understand. So, I think Eusebius couldn't substantiate who truly wrote these books. So, he put them on, on at the side. Say, no, we cannot recognize this yet as canon. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, after some few years, around AD uh, 350, we have Cyril of Jerusalem. Cyril of Jerusalem recognized 26 of the New Testament canon we have today. I mean, the 27. He recognized 26 plus the Gospel of Thomas. 
plus the gospel of Thomas. Now, as far as we can know, he is the only one known that has included the gospel of Thomas into the canon. But then he excluded Revelation, the book of Revelation. Also doubting who actually wrote the book of Revelation. Then we have Laodicea Synod in AD 363. You recognize 26 of the 27 books we have. And then having still doubt on Revelation. We have Athanasius in AD 367. So you can see the year. So that means it's a progressive. What I'm trying to point out is that the process of canonicity is not one man. It took centuries about debates among Christians, which one is canon, which one is not. Now, what did he do? He recognized the 27 ones we have today. As far as on record, he was the first one, and this is the first time to have the 27 books of the New Testament canon all recognized. All recognized, including Revelation. Then, in AD 390, Gregory of Nazianus recognized again the 27 that we have today. What already the Athanasius recognized. Yes, Elias, the African canon of around AD 303 to 419. So Christianity is not always been from the West or from the East. Amen? They recognize 27 of the New Testament we have today. Then Jerome, later AD 394, recognize still the 27. Are we, are we together? Amen. So there has been some kind of consistency and agreement coming now to recognize based on many other factors are considered. Amen. Now, then Augustine, around 395 to 400, recognize again what? The 27. Hallelujah. Then we have the Cartes Synod around 397. They recognize the 26 because I'm beginning to make some doubtful uh, consideration around Revelation. Who truly wrote this one? But then the same Cartes Synod in AD 419 came also back again and said, mm, I think by now we, 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 can, we are satisfied and now Revelation must, should be part of it. Then they added and agreed it to be 27. Hallelujah. Are we together? So, from Polycarp, hmm, 
in AD 125 that started the issue of citation. And we have seen citation. Now to the issue of the begin to rec recognize all these books. Now, before I say something, let me come back to this. There's one of the book. was the book of Hebrews, one of the letters of Paul. You see, not just only that uh, they try to do, they also try to make consensus on this. Already we see all these people. A CBO say, mm, perhaps. Uh, Cyril of Jerusalem say, yes. Uh, Laodiceus, you know, say yes. Athanasius say yes. Gregory of Nazinius say yes. African canon say no. Jerome say yes. Augustine say yes. And Carter say not no. And then they also say no. Now, you see, that's to show you that every book have undergone thorough argument, thorough uh, consensus, debate, you understand, scrutiny. You understand? We're going to see, as I said, what are some of the things, the process, or what the criteria that they use to scrutinize these books, whether they are canon or not. Amen? Yes. So, regardless of all these things, in the end, they conclude that Hebrews you understand, should be included in the canon, although the author is not known. And up to today, we don't know actually the author. But it's likely, if you read Hebrews chapter 2, yeah, and a number of part of the passages, you discover that even if it was not written by Apostle Paul, it must have been written by a close associate, a close companion. Amen? Yes, because the writing, the style, the way he speaks, you understand, really reflects that of uh, Apostle Paul. Amen? Now, one thing I wanted to see is that with all these things we have just run through about the New Testament canon, you can see that the process of canonicity took centuries. Are we together? Please, this is one thing I want you to note. You can see that the process of canonicity took centuries. Please note this thing very well. It took centuries. And after thorough and significant debate, scrutiny, you understand? To come to these 27 books. Hallelujah. Yes. Now, it was not done in a single meeting. I want you to know this. From all you've seen, it's not one committee that just sat down and just decide in one meeting. It was just done in single meeting and by a single individual. By a single individual. No. No. Please know this history. It's very important. This is a history of the New Testament canon. No single individual and it was not in a single meeting that these 27 books were decided. Now, as I have said, also, it is not a product of a committee of friends that just sat down and randomly pick from different writings as they wish. No. You understand? Hallelujah. 
Now, although we have these records of men, please, I want you to know this. This is very important also. Very, very crucial. Please note this. Although we have this history of the of, of this New Testament canon, and we understand how it came to be compiled, understand? Yet, the canon is not determined by men. The canon is determined by God. So what men did was to go to scriptures to understand. After all, from the Bible, from the Bible itself, you understand? How do you use the, how did the Bible say? Eh? What are some of the characteristics according to the Bible itself of a canon? Are we together? Glory to Jesus. So, the canon is determined by God. That means, just like I said yesterday, it wasn't men that give authority to the Bible. The Bible has authority on itself. And it is not the church that confer legitimacy to the word. No. The word itself, within itself, has power, authenticity, and legitimacy. And so, biblical canon is not about man's recognition. Biblical canon is not man-made. Men did not confer authority on the word of God. The Bible contains within itself evidence of canonicity. The canon is determined by whether a book is inspired or not inspired by God. If it is not inspired by God, then it is not canon. That's all. If it's not inspired by God, it's not canon. No doubt about it. Straight away. Now, let's begin the Noxious Gospel. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Now, in December 1945, some local Arab peasants dug out some bunch of ancient documents hidden under the cliff of Jabal al-Tarif. This is, this is Jabal al-Tarif here. You understand? Across the river from the largest village of the area, Nak Namandi. Please note this because we'll be, you'll be, we'll be seeing it. Nak, uh, Nak Namandi. Some 300 miles south of Cairo in Egypt. So this is a cliff where these documents were docked by Arab. And these are some of the, I mean, the form of the document. And one thing that is important I want us to see is that the documents are written in Coptic. The documents were written in Coptic, an ancient Egyptian language. And that's why sometimes when you hear me use the word Coptic document. And last week, last um, yesterday, I talk about a church called the Coptic Orthodox of Alexandria. Amen? So, it's, it's, it's a language the ancient, in ancient uh, Egypt. But there are solid reasons for thinking that each of those documents was originally composed in Greek. Why? Although it was written in Coptic, 
but there are evidence to show that they were originally composed in Greek. Now, when you, let me go back a bit. Now, did you see there are some wrappings here? Right? Some leather wrappings around the books. Yes. So, now, the leather-bound books, you understand, it was leather-bound. Themselves were manufactured in the second half of the first century. Second half of the first century. I mean, the fourth century. We know this because the spines of the leather bindings were strengthened with the scrap paper, and some of the scrap paper came from a receipt dated 341, 346, and 348. Actually, CE. CE means, uh, you know, that's a way of saying AD also. But they say common era, or they, some people say Christian era. <laughs> Amen? Now, the bookstores must have been manufactured somewhere or sometimes around or after four, I mean, 348 CE. And the, these Coptic documents were the most significant collection of lost Christian writings to turn up in the modern eras. A total of 46 different treaties, 46 different treaties, most of them previously unknown most of them previously unknown. And these Coptic documents were known as generally the Noxtis Gospels. Now, this document includes several Gospels about Jesus that had never been seen before by any Western scholar or anywhere. Books known to, be, to have existed in antiquity but lost for nearly 1500 years including the gospel about Jesus allegedly by his disciple Philip which the Da Vinci quote this, this Noxious gospel is important because the Da Vinci quote quoted a lot of them you understand? which the Da Vinci quote quote when discussing the importance of Mary Magdalene amen yes so they contain accounts different from the New Testament canon. That's one thing I want you to note. Because they have never been seen, so they contain accounts which is different from what we have today. And we don't know exactly who wrote these books or why they came to be hidden under the cliff of Jabal al-Tarif. We don't know. We don't know why. Because it was unwritten. But there are some speculations that scholars have made it is significant that Christian monastery, founded by famous uh, Christian monk Saint Pocumius in the first century, is located just three miles away. Please note this, because these are what scholars were trying to say. Because we're trying to see why were they hidden. Nobody has ever seen those documents before. Where were they hidden? There, you understand? For what reason? And we couldn't substantiate who are the authors of these. Uh, books. But then we have a monastery very close, about three miles away. And something has been known about this uh, monastery. Some scholars have been inclined to think that these books may have come from the library of this monastery. You understand? In a view supported by the content of the scrap. Because the content of the scrap which I mentioned earlier 
You know, some paper in their bindings. But why will the monk have disposed these books? You understand? So the, some of the wrappings that those books contain can be traceable to that monastery. So it was, there is this link that probably is from that monastery. But why did they dispose those documents and now bury them? They didn't even burn them. Now, I want to link something. It was in the 16th, we saw this thing. Athanasius, can we remember him? Eh? Yes, the first person to recognize the 27 books of the, uh, the New Testament. It was in that year, uh, 367 CE, that the powerful bishop of Alexandria, so he was a powerful bishop of Alexandria at that moment, and then he wrote a letter to the church throughout Egypt under his jurisdiction in which he set out in strict terms to contour of, uh, of the canon scriptures. So he just, that's how they do in those days, you understand? And this was the first time anyone of record that had indicated that the 27 books that we now have in our canon and then he mentioned that the only 27 books and that should be included in scriptures. You understand? So, how can we connect that? And all of them were in evidence that that document, the, stra the, the straps, were, were linked to that monastery. It sounds very not far away. And then we have this powerful bishop also who was still in Egypt. And then these are the connections. And moreover, this Athanasius insisted that other heretical books must not be read. You understand? Because there is some infiltration in the church that time. And so it is possible that the monk of Pacumemians, um, I don't know how to pronounce this one. Is it Pacumian or Pachumian, whichever one, monastery near the Nakhamandi felt the heat from on high and cleansed out their library to conform to the dictate of the powerful bishop of Alexandria. So this is a link that we thought that these books must have been buried as at that moment. Now, what are the criteria of the canonicity? What are the criteria of the canonicity? One, apostolic. One, apostolic. One, apostolic. Now, it must have been written by apostles, so they said, if any book that must be included in the canon, it must have been written by an apostle or at least by a companion of the apostle. For example, Luke. Luke was included into the canon because Luke was a companion of the apostle Paul. You understand? Mark was included because Mark is a companion or much a companion of apostle uh, John. This is not John Mark. Amen. Yes. And then Hebrews, which we have talked about earlier on, although its author cannot be substantiated, but then the writings, you understand, which we will see some of the uh, next ones, actually shows it was written, if not by Apostle Paul, but somebody who was close to him. You understand? Now, orthodox or orthodox. So, secondly, if a scripture 
I mean, a writing must be included as a canon. It must pass this test of orthodoxy. And the writings must be consistent. That's what that means. With the teachings of the apostles and Jesus. So you cannot write anything. And it deviates from the teachings of the apostles and Jesus. Or the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And then for, we cannot include it. This is why they rejected the Noxious Gospel because they cannot substantiate their teachings are consistent with the teachings of the apostles or of Jesus. Amen? And then in other words, the content must be consistent with orthodox doctrine. The doctrines of the apostles. The contents must show that the information came from God. You understand? The Noxious Gospel contains unbiblical teachings. And that's why they were eliminated. You understand? It wasn't coherent. It wasn't, it wasn't showing that it looks like mm, this is an apostle that wrote it. Some of the rejected books contain historical inaccuracy, inferior spiritual and moral values, which do not reflect the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I said that the work must show that it came from God. Are we together? Yes. For example, let me give you an example. The gospel according to Peter. They say the gospel of Peter. But they couldn't substantiate that it's Peter that wrote this. That's why they rejected it. One of the Noxious gospel, they call it the gospel of Peter. And now gave a striking narrative of Jesus' resurrection and emergence from the tomb. An account found in none of the, our canon gospel. You know, the canon gospel gave us that, yes, Jesus resurrected. But it didn't show us how Jesus was coming out from the tomb. You understand? And he was just, you know. Now, this gospel gave us like a picture, you understand, know, of how Jesus came out from the tomb. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> now, look at what they said. This is just a part of summary, and I want you to pay attention to it. Now, the gospel, according to um, Peter, they said that a crowd, this is a narrative. That a crowd just came from Jerusalem and surrounds the neighborhood to see the tomb. So suddenly when Jesus was about to um, resurrect, people came to see how it will happen. <laughs> now during the night hours, they hear a great noise and observe the heavens open up. Two men just descended from heaven. You understand? In a great splendor. The stone before the tomb rolled away on its own accord. And two men now entered. Those two men that descended now entered. And the soldier standing guard awaking the centurion who came out to see the incredible uh, spectacle. From the tomb, there emerged the three men. Now, you know, two enter now. Now, the third man is like Jesus now that came out. In the sun. And the head of the two men reaches up to the sky. So when they came out, their head reaches the sky. But look at the third person, supposedly Jesus. They are supporting the third, eh? the third person, whose head reaches beyond the sky. Now, those ones reaches the sky. This one reaches beyond the sky. <laughs> Behind them, a march, a cross. A voice then speaks from heaven. Have you preached to those who are asleep? The cross replied, yes. 
that even you, when you are reading it, <laughs> does, <laughs> does it look like Apostle Peter wrote this? <laughs> now, it's good to read. It's good to read those Gnostic Gospels. There's nothing. Find time to read them. You understand? I'm telling you, there's no problem. Read them. Even you, you know that this, the quality, of, even you, if you are writing a scripture, you write better than that. Now, I want to say something. Now, maybe, if, for example, I will ask you now to give a heading, subheading, you know, in some of our Bible, there are subheadings. To give a subheading, what will you have given the subheading of this uh... <laughs> dramatic resurrection? Okay, maybe I will say a giant Jesus and a walking, talking cross. <laughs> You know, you can imagine that the cross was following and, he was, and the cross was talking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Now, now, let's go to the next one. Are some of the books of the Bible lost? Are some of the books of the Bible lost? Some atheists and skeptics find a doorway to argue that there are lost books of the Bible, indicating that the church fathers banned some books that reveal some secret about Jesus and Christianity. You know, and truly we're going to see it, there are some books that cannot be accounted for. You understand? So the atheists come through those doorways. You understand? And now suggest that, ah, yes. And that may include all these Noxious gospel that they, that they said that they were banned. You understand? Because they wanted to pro, pro, uh, just protect a secret. Now, there are at least 30 different works mentioned in the Bible that we, are no, that we no longer have today. Amen? That's true. That's why we want to open your eyes. That's very true. Very true. Now, let's look at some of them particularly the one that concerns us in the New Testament. I might not go into talk about the Old Testament because we did that. Or probably there's something we will talk about later on. I will mention this again. Now, 28 in the Old Testament and 2 in the New Testament. And particularly in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and Colossians chapter 1, I mean 4 verse 16. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistles not to keep company with sexually immoral. Remember, he was writing this letter to the, 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 the first letter, I mean the letter to the Corinthians church. And then he said, I wrote to you eh, my epistles. He was referring to a letter he has written before that letter. Are we together? In fact, let's look at it clearly from the NLT. NLT says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. This is clear that there is a letter that Paul wrote before to the Corinthians. Are we together? But where is the letter? We don't know. We cannot be able to trace that letter up to today. We don't know. Okay, let's look at Colossians chapter 4 verse 16. 
He says, still Paul, he said, now when this epistle eh, is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistles from the Laodicea. Now the question is as where is the epistle from the Laodicea? Are we together? So we know that the Colossians are instructed when you read your own, send it to the church in Laodicea. But then let the one I wrote to the Laodiceans also to be read in your own. But we don't know where is the letter to the Laodiceans. We don't know. We cannot, we cannot know where it is today. Now, is this a problem? Is this a problem? Okay. First, I want you to know that not everything God preserved it. This is one thing I want you to know. I want you to know that not everything God preserved it. See, in this scripture, John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the, his disciples. Which what? Which what? We are not written in this book. He said, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So first I want you to know that not everything God preserved. So, but what he preserved, what he has left for us, is sufficient for us to do what? To do what? What we have now, is it sufficient for you to believe? That means the Bible is written to reveal Jesus. And that you might believe in him, so that you might have life through his name. Period. So please, so that nobody will tell you, yes, because now it shows that some uh, scriptures we cannot account for. How are you sure that the Gnostic Gospels are not part of the ones you ban? They are also the, 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 the canon. Why did you ban them? Yes, sir. No, no. Not everything God preserved. And the one he preserved for us is sufficient for us to know him and to believe in him. Are we together? Amen. Amen. Yes. Now, we have everything we need and it's already clarifying scripture. You understand? As his divine power, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3, has given us how many things? All things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, if there were inspired letters, epistles that God chose not to preserve, then we do not need them. Amen? That's the verdict. We don't need them. If there are ones that God chose to preserve, like the one we saw in Corinthians and also in Colossians, the church of Laodiceans. Amen? Now, the next one. So now, nobody should come and bombard you. If they tell you, eh, other books in the Bible are lost, yes, say, I know, I know, I know. Let me take you to one place. It's not everything God preserved. He decided what to preserve and not what to preserve. But then everything you see in this Bible is that we might believe Jesus. At this sense, you have sufficient to believe Jesus? Full stop. 
If you have any question why God didn't preserve others, wait when we meet him. Receive Jesus as your Lamb, Pastor Savior, so that we can meet him. Because if you don't, you won't ask this question. <laughs> Amen. What a very good way to preach Jesus. You understand? Because you better receive him more so that you have opportunity to ask this question. <laughs> now, those the citation or allusions of some outside materials in the Bible shows that those sources are also scriptures. You understand? Does it show that some other those things are also scriptures? And the truth of that, just like we saw that are, there are some books that we cannot account, some inspired writings, the same way there are so many passages in scripture that the writers quoted outside sources. But the question is that just because you quote an outside source, does it mean that source you quote is also inspired by God? Hallelujah. Now the citations, clearly, the citations or allusions of some materials in the Bible does not show that those sources are also scriptures. So what I would just say to you now is just to prove this point in the sun. So that nobody should come and bombard. And this is at least, this one I think is a lesson for us to learn. That maybe I'll read that, leave that lesson till the end. I mean the end of this. Now first, non-biblical sources have been repeatedly quoted in the Old Testament. Let's look at it in the Old Testament first. First, the book of the words of the Lord. Numbers chapter um, Numbers chapter 11. Please, it's important. We will have to look. I mean, we will have to check them because it will help us really. Let's, let's check them. Let's check them. Open your Bible. You know, all this while now you have not been open Bible. And I want to, this one is not just. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Now he said, Numbers chapter 21. He said, Wherefore it is set in the book of what? In the book of the words of the Lord, what he did in the Red Sea and in the brook of now the question is that where is that the book of the words of the Lord amen where is that book so it's an outside material remember when when these people um, what God did in the Red Sea eh? it was not just only Christian that knew about it remember the prostitute Rehab, when the spies came, she said something. He said, we have heard. And remember, when God the Lord did that, it's about 40 years before they reached even Jericho. Are we together? Now, you can imagine a woman staying for over 40 years, but it is still ringing in there. He said, we, we heard what the Lord did for you. You understand? Are we together? So it's not only believers that knew that. So if somebody have written what it has been done. That doesn't mean that it is inspired. Are we together? But then again, we saw it being quoted. Amen? Then the next one is what? Yes. Media, can you help me return to that place? 
Yes. Is the book of Jesha. The book of Jesha. The book of Jesha. Maybe somebody should just, just leave it media. Somebody should just help me there. Just open somebody open um, uh, Joshua chapter 1 so that we'll be faster. Joshua chapter 10, sorry, verse 13. And 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 18. Yes, who has opened it? Ah, which one is easier for us? Media, help us then. These people are not. <laughs> okay, Joshua. Joshua 10, 13, 1 Samuel 1, 18. 2 Samuel, sorry, 1, 18. Now, and the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not this written? Is it not this written in the book of what? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heavens and has not to do, I mean, and has, and has it, what? And has hasted, okay, and hasted not to go down, sorry, is hasted not to go down eh, about a whole day. Hallelujah. Yes, that's second, second uh, Samuel, chapter 1, verse 18. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of what? Behold, it is written where? Behold, it is written where? In the book of Joshua. Where is the book of Joshua? Yes. What's the next one? The book of the act of Solomon. First Kings chapter 11 verse 41. First Kings 11 41. The act of Solomon. The act of Solomon. First Kings chapter 11 verse 41. And the rest of the act of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdoms are written and are not Okay, where, is, where am I seeing? Are they not written in the book of the Act of Solomon? Where is the book of the Act of Solomon? <laughs> Amen. What's the next one? The Annals of the Kings of David. First Chronicles 27, 24. 1 Chronicles 27, 24. 1 Chronicles 27, 24. Joab, the son of Zuriah, began to number, but he finished not, because there fell wrapped for it against Israel. Neither was the number put in the account of what? The Chronicles of what? The Chronicles of King David. Where is that now? Some, some versions use the annals. Some use the chronicles. Are we together? Now, where is that now? Now, although all these non-canonical books, <clears throat> you understand? We don't know where they are. They still contain what? They still contain some truth. Not that one. Not that word, some truth. Now, even the wicked men, Hmm? 
sometimes speak the truth. Now, we're not going to read this, but you can put it down. This one is Balaam. Hmm? All this in the New Testament was mentioned. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Jude chapter 1, verse 11, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Even some wicked men, like Balaam, speaks the truth. You know, Balaam is a diviner. Are we together? And then, God even speaks truth also through donkeys. We saw it. The same Balaam. You understand? The man is stubborn. Are we together? Now, what we are trying to point out here is that truth is truth. No matter where it is found. That's just the point. Truth is what? Truth. No matter where it is found. You understand? No matter where it is found. Most of us who have read Christian, um, Christian uh, books, you must have seen the writers also cutting other sources that are not Christian at all. Are we together? Some of them even make references to scientific discoveries that were done by pagans. But is, is it the truth? Are we together? Now, that's one thing I want you to understand. So there's nothing to panic that some uh, information has been cited from outside sources. Amen? Yes. Let's look at the ones in the New Testament because it's not just only in the Old Testament. There are even other ones in the New Testament that have been repeatedly uh, quoted. Now, Paul quoted Cretans and Aratus. Cretans and Aratus. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Acts 17, 28. Acts 17:28. For in him we live, and in him and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, eh? for we are also his offsprings. Now, this quotation, he was quoting the Aratus. Amen. So he uses their own statement by their own people to give them a clarity. Amen? So this one, we don't know where it is, but certainly Paul quoted from this pagan person. Hallelujah? Yes. The next one is uh, be not deceived evil communication corrupt good manners this one is a quotation check in your bible evil communication is a good is what is corrupt is is what corrupt good what manners here is not showing me because it's a this yes are we together yes it you will see it in your bible it's in a quote with quotation mark it's not directly this one is not in any other scripture this one was a quotation from Menander Tears. You understand? Although not directly, but it's an allusion. This has been, it's, when you read the, the writings of uh, Menander Tears, you will see this quotation. So that's where it was taken. Hallelujah. Are we together? Yes. He affirmed the statement also, or Apostle again, the Apostle Paul, 
affirmed the statement of Apimenes, the writing that, I mean, writing it that his testimony is true. You understand? It, it, this was, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be amazed. You understand? Titus chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. One of them, even a prophet, this is not a prophet of God, who, even a prophet of their own said that the Cretans are liars, are always liars, evil beasts, slow what? Some scriptures say gluten. Not giving, yes, not the other, yes. This witness is what? Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Hallelujah. Yes, let's go back to that place again. So, the non-believing uh, Caiaphas make a correct prediction about Christ's death. You understand? John chapter 11, verse 49. John 11, 49. 49 to 53. 49 to 53. He said, And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Next verse. No, consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. Yes? And this spake he not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Amen? Yes, next verse. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one, sorry, in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad. Last one. Then from that day, for they took counsel together for to put him to death. You can imagine somebody is speaking and then he was prophesying. But remember he didn't believe in Jesus. Are we together? Now Paul refers to James and Jembre. We are conversant with this one which were magicians never mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament. Perhaps he read it somewhere, possibly part of, I mean, you know, the issue is that because it was never mentioned in any of the uh, the Jewish Tanakh. So, where did Paul ever get and know that, that Jen and Jembres opposed Moses because they, their name was mentioned? Although we saw that in Egypt, there are West men who tried to do, you know, those magicians, you understand? In uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 10 to 12, which they did an opposition to what Moses was doing. So, probably they were part of that camp, they were part of that uh, group of people. But the Bible didn't mention it, so he must have read it somewhere. Are we together? Now, Paul also quotes the words of Jesus, which were not contained in the Gospels, the four Gospels. You know, remember this scripture? I think let's read it. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Act 20, verse 35. Act 20, verse 35. Yes, I have sealed you. All things, how they so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus. Remember the words what? of our Lord Jesus. How he said, 
it is more blessed to give than to what? Than to receive. This scripture I have before I have looked for it. Where did Paul quote this one? I have looked for it in scripture. I have not seen it. You understand? Now, all this shows that some non-canonical sources can contain truth in them. That's what this thing shows to us. That some non-canonical scriptures can contain some truths in them. Now, when a portion of a book is quoted, that does not suggest that the person quoting from the book is saying the entire book is true. Are we together? That's not true. That part, or the part quoted, eh, could be true, but not necessarily the entire book. Are we together? Yes. Just like uh, Paul affirmed that that statement is true. Are we together? That statement is true. Some books in the canon, like Jude. Now, this is some of the argument uh, these uh, skeptics also use. Like Jude, Jude 9, and also 14 to 15 alluded to both the assumption of Moses, verse 9, and the book of Enoch, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. We don't have this. <laughs> Amen? These are part of the books that were rejected. Neither of these books are canonical. You know, but they said that if, if Paul have quoted or Jude have quoted from this book, then those books quoted must also be scriptures. If they are not scriptures, why should, will they quote them? No, no, no. You don't need to quote uh, just like we have seen. Truth is truth no matter where it comes from. And when you are making a discussion and a case, you can quote some people to be, that, to be able to make the case. Are we together? Hallelujah. Yes. So, however, this does not suggest that Jude was saying the entire book are true and canonical. Just as we saw, those things that Paul was quoting, he was not referring that, okay, just because I quoted from this. So all what these prophets are saying, the Arastus and all those people, they are, too, they are all God-inspired. No, no, that's not what he's saying. So those people who are making this argument are making it wrongly. So this is comparable to the contemporary preacher quoting an atheist or scientist philosopher. The atheist will contain some truth statement even though it's not entirely true. And we do that. There's nothing wrong about it. You can quote some certain things. For example, maybe an atheist discovered a lot of things concerning eagle and how eagle fly. He studied eagle all his life. Maybe he's a biologist and all that. So, and you are making some certain scriptures. And then the Bible says, talking about that um, those that trust in the Lord or wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. And then you are using that to clarify your statement. And now go to quote part of that biologist who is an atheist and just clarifying how an eagle fly. And he made the discovery. Does that mean that you are saying everything that that man has been writing is true? No. That's not what you are saying. Are we together? Yeah. Now, lastly, this is where we will, we will draw the break. Very important. Now, some responses to the Da Vinci Code. I'm very, very, very um, particular about this. Now, the problem is that the readers of the Da Vinci Code, or those who watch the film, 
who do not know the history of early Christians will naturally believe Dan Brown and just like he has deceived many people even Christians you understand if you don't know the history of early Christians like some of us now we have done a number of things now in all this crash work know the little history of the early Christians and how the history even of the New Testament canon now indicate that his accounting of early Christians document is historically accurate now the error number one he made now this is I quoted a lot of things from his book and then we will address some of it not all and we just to bring some part of it for us to see the error number one he said is that Jesus life was recorded by thousands of followers across the land this is found in page 231 the issue is that there is need for clarification here those who decidedly recorded Jesus life we are not thousands of followers so this is an error already at that time Jesus didn't have thousands of of followers we can call his followers Jesus didn't even have thousands of followers at that time at his ascension Jesus had only 120 followers as we have in record are we together yes waiting in the upper room and what are they waiting for they are waiting for the promise of the father so that is an error he made to have eluded that thousands of people recorded Jesus' life. Because he's trying to prove a point why the Noxious gospel must be accepted. Because they are saying that all of his followers, there are thousands of them that were writing about him. No. But the writings of the apostles is different from the writings of any other person. Are we together? Amen. Now, error number two. He said that more than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament. And yet only a relative few were chosen for inclusion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John among them. In page 231. This is also an error. A huge error. In this error, the Da Vinci Code makes it sound like there, were, there was a contest. That the Bible as we have it today, was a collection done by the winners of an intense political debate. That's what he's trying to promote. We have already seen that the process of currency is not a context. Are we together? That's why we deal with it. And believers right from the first century knew the canon, just like we saw Paul wrote it. I write to you that this is a commandment of the Lord. Are we together? So that means both him and to the people he was communicating to knew from that moment that it is the scripture, the sacred righteous. And we saw also from the process we took in the early church how the canon came to be compiled. Only few books, not even all. At that first time, about 22 or thereabout, we are not already in doubt even by the believers. None. They believe the 22. The only contention they have is about five, just like we saw. James, uh, Third John, and Second John, um, Second Peter, you understand? These are some of the books they have in contention because they, are, they actually do not, they are still doubting who actually wrote them. 
So, and then later on, we saw how the church now came to be satisfied and now include them. So you cannot claim that about 80 we are considered. How? He needs to go and revisit his history. Maybe he needs to go for a history class. Error number three. Unto the council of Nicaea voted on his divinity. Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet. Actually, there was a council which was Constantine, was part of uh, the organization at that time, was part of it. They sat down, you understand, they are just the same way. We have it in the New Testament. This is not new. Paul had some problem about some other people came, coming from Jerusalem, you understand, to Antioch and insisting that they must be circumcised, you understand, to be saved. And Paul had to return to Jerusalem and they had a council and they met to be able to address the issues. This is all new. You understand? And that was the same thing also in the early church. They met in order to be able to settle some of those issues. But not even on this matter. Not even on Jesus' divinity. Because, you know, there is a way this man confuses himself by himself. You understand? Because if you are alluding by Adatva, because there are books already that have been written already from the first century, which you have said that they have included uh, the four Gospels, right? The question is that in those four Gospels, they have already acknowledged, which we shall see, the, the, the humanity of Jesus. So how could you say that they wanted to project Jesus' uh, uh, divinity and they included, if they include those scriptures, and those scriptures already have, have clearly stated Christ's humanity, they would have omitted those scriptures now. So, Don Brown in the Da Vinci Code claims that the Constantine Council of, of Nicaea in the year 325 was the first time that Jesus' divinity was acknowledged. And it was that the time that the books that depicted Jesus as divine were included while others that did not were excluded. But he was the one, look at it, if Christians did not embrace Christ's divinity unto the council of Nicaea in their 3.25, how could the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John depict Jesus as divine already in the first century? If you are saying until that time, that was when they accepted Jesus as divine because they wanted to project a political agenda. How comes you are saying that these books were already also included? While those books already were written far before that time. And clearly, in those scriptures, stated the divinity of Christ. And they were not written that time. They were already written and being used and circulated long before that time. Jesus' deity has been known by his followers before the Council of Nicaea. And even doubting Thomas recognized Jesus' divine nature. He saw Jesus raised from the dead and he exclaimed, My Lord, my God. You remember? So how comes? Where is he reading? We need to tell him to go and read more. Apostle John wrote this about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. This is from the ones he said they included. 
and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was God. The word was God. He wrote again in First John chapter 5. Remember, this First John, remember, is part of the 22 canon already recognized here. It was not in contention who wrote it. Are we together? He said, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know him who is true and we are in him who is true. His Son, Jesus Christ. The Son of God is a title depicting him as, I mean, showing his divinity. Are we together? Why the Jews sought to kill Jesus was because he said he is equal with God. And where did we see this? In John chapter 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was the breaking of Sabbath, but he even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's the very So they understood his divinity right at the first century when those books were written. Even the Roman officer overseeing the execution of Jesus recognized the divinity of Jesus, let alone his followers. Look at it. In Matthew 27, verse 55, he said, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Unclean spirits always cried out Jesus' divinity and Jesus' divine nature in his presence. Mark 3, 11, whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Uh -uh. Where did this man did his research? Jesus' divine nature was not just in the gospel. But long prophesied even before he has arrived. That's even in the, in the Jewish Tanakh. Right? Isaiah said in 9, Isaiah 9, 6, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He said, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. <laughs> Apostle Paul was writing his letter about 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death. That is about 250 years before the council of Nicaea. In them, he declared the divinity of Jesus. Let me give an example here. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 7. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God. He said he did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. He said, who being in the very nature of God. So both in the Gospels, that's in the first century, about 250 years. Eh? Listen, the first, the first, uh, the Gospels we have, the four Gospels, were the first to be written. Are we together? So already, no, no. The, the writings of Paul were written around the same time. You understand? What I'm trying to say is that Paul's writing just, is just after the death of Christ. Not too far alone, long ago. Are we together? 
But then again, look at it from the distance between the council of Nosea, about 250 years. The question is that, how comes is it until that time? Because according to his claim, is it until the council of Nosea that Jesus' divinity have not been known and followed by his, by his followers? That's not true. It's not clearly, it's not unfounded. This book is a terrible mess of history. Error number four. Constantine commissioned and financed a new Bible which omitted those Gospels that spoke of Christ's human traits and embellished those Gospels that made him godlike. The earlier Gospels were outlawed, gathered up and burned. Gathered up and burned. Page 234. Constantine commissioned and financed <laughs> the new Bible we have. That is wrong. First, Constantine did not commission and finance the new Bible at all. This is completely wrong. We have already seen it. We have already dealt with the process of canonicity. Are we together? We saw that it was a process that took centuries. And after a thorough and significant debate, it was not done in a single meeting with a majority vote. Those in favor say, I... No, that was not how the Bible was compiled. Those not in favor say, nay. You say, the I have it. Bam. No, that was not how it, were, it came. The formation of the New Testament canon was a long, drawn-out process that began centuries before Constantine. We saw it and was not completed until well after his death. So we saw Constantine died before the whole New Testament canon was completed. So how comes that you, you are saying that he's the one who did that? In fact, the first 27 New Testament books were accepted as canon around near the end of the fourth century, some 50 years after the death of Constantine. So how comes you are now saying that he's the one who did it? No. 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 Constantine had nothing to do with it at all, whether before his death or after his death. He has nothing to do with the issue of canonicity of scriptures. That's a complete, complete distortion of history. Among other things, the four Gospels were already in place before Constantine's conversion. So how comes he's the one who come? Before his conversion, the, already the Gospels were there. Another Gospel had already long been denounced by Christian leaders as heretic. Even before Constantine came. So what we're trying to say is that before Constantine became a believer, already the process of canonicity has begun since. Even after he, was, he became a believer, he has nothing to do with it. The council in which he instituted where he was there, which we call the council of Nicaea, it, was nothing, it has nothing to do with it, the canonicity of scriptures. Are we together? Yes. So the Bible is full of references to Jesus' human traits. So you cannot claim that they are trying to project that Jesus has divinity and close his humanity. We, in fact, if you don't believe the humanity of Jesus, you are not a Christian. 
Are we together? All these scriptures shows the humanity of Jesus. And they are all before even Constantine conversion. He was tired. Sorry. He was tired. God is not tired. If he is divine, he can't be tired. He was hungry. He was angry. He slept. He bled. He died. You have to be a man to die. Are we together? There has been this misconception that Christianity is a purely oral religion that was not interested at all in books or writing things down or anything related to the canon. That the Christian did not look like books. That they just passed their teachings by the word of mouth. That it was during the council of, uh, of Nicaea that they actually begin to say, God, we need to begin to put something down that will guide Christians. This one doesn't have understanding on the history of, the, of Christianity. So according to this misconception, the idea of canon just came in the third or fourth century when someone decided that we should have books that catalog our faith. And therefore, those who believe in this idea can easily believe that Christians never had a canon until the time of Constantine. How can, how can just our entire faith just be based on one, this one person? Constantine was, okay, let's leave him by the side. But the point I'm trying to say, this is not true. Christianity has a Jewish heritage. So you cannot say that they don't like book. Did you hear what I said? The early Christians were Jews themselves. Not any kind of Jew. Studios ones. Did you know something? Like Paul. What? They came from Judaism. They had the Old Testament. They quoted from it. They read it. They are already accustomed to books and writings. Already the Old Testament was in place. That was what they were using as scriptures. If you see any place that they, they are describing, like the one we saw yesterday, all scriptures Paul was writing are inspired. Of, at that time, what he was referring is the Old Testament. The New Testament has several quotations from the Old Testament. I said yesterday that the book technology codex was a technology invented by Christians. Not by, by unbelievers. They were the ones who started writing in both sides. In book form. Initially in those days, they were writing on parchment. Error number five. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1950s, hidden in the cave near Koram in Judean Desert. And of course, the Coptic Scrolls, remember we talked about the Coptic Scrolls? Yes. In 1945 at Nakhamandi, in, a, in addition to telling the, the true uh, grail story, these documents speak of Christ's ministry in the very human terms. <laughs> First and foremost, the discovery of this uh, Dead Sea Scroll, I've not mentioned about this one. Aside the Nagnomandi Library document, which we call the Coptic uh, documents, 
You understand? We also have the another ones that were discovered around the Dead Sea. They call it the Dead Sea Scrolls. You understand? While this one has to do with the Noxious Gospels and the writings of the New Testament, this one now here has to do basically about the writings of the Jewish community. And we're going to see that. Now, important understanding of the historic Carl Jesus and the stories about him, but not for the reasons that Vinci Court presented. Because he was saying that these death scrolls and these ones all tell the great story. You remember we said this story that he's saying that is that concocted that Jesus married Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, and all that and all that. You understand? He got it from this uh, other book that was written in the 1980s. This holy uh, blood, holy grail. Are we together? So, these books and this document never tell that story at all. I don't know whether he's reading it upside down. Constantine did not attempt to eradicate any of the early Gospels. As we saw, the early, as we saw earlier that the Constantine had nothing to do with the Council of Scriptures. It began before him and it ended after his death. The Dead Sea Scrolls do not contain any Gospel. Any. In fact, any document that speaks of Christ or Christianity has not been seen in any of those Dead Sea Scrolls. They were Jewish texts. They were made by Jewish, copied by Jews, and used by Jews around that time of Jesus. Around that time Jesus was living. You see, I think it's a document that has been found in recent history that describes the life of the Jews, you understand? What happened was in the Jews went during the time of Jesus. The Dead Sea Scrolls and the Nakamandi document do not tell the great story at all. And they do not emphasize Jesus' human trait. Quite the contrary. And also they claim that the Vatican had something to do with their discoveries. The Vatican had nothing to do with it. They were discovered by, by these peasant Arab men. You understand? Those are dig and find artifacts. You understand? Nothing has to do with the Vatican at all. Among the most significant documents in the Dead Sea Scrolls are the copies of the Hebrew Bible. You understand? So the, among the documents found those this Dead Sea Scrolls, they are the part of it are the part copies of the, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Tanakh, the Christian Old Testament. Every book of the Hebrew Bible is represented among the manuscripts discovered in the 11 chapters, except the book of Esther. In that, and it was a very wonderful discovery about that, uh, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. This discovery of biblical manuscript is significant because before this, all these copies of the Hebrew Bible came from 1000 CE. So we didn't have anything in recent time. You know, how we know that the Bible is original is because of more manuscript we keep finding. Are we together? Yes. These copies among the Dead Sea Scrolls were a millennium or more older than anything previously known. Now, it's important to us as Christians today because it keeps telling us how these scriptures was widespread as at then. And this discovery shows how faithfully 
the text of Hebrew Bible were copied over the ages. Their initial discovery was in 1947 and not in 1950s. That was the, one of the errors he made. He said it was discovered in the 1950s. It was discovered in, the 19, in 1947. Most of the other books discovered in this cave near the Quran were previously unknown. A library of Jewish texts previously unavailable. And very important in that very part. For now, most of us in the Bible, we know about this Jewish sect. The Hellenistic Jewish, you understand? The Sadducees, the Pharisees. But very difficult for us to know about this, the Hebrews and the essence. Now, this document of the Dead Sea Scrolls, you understand? There are many written in Hebrew's language. The language of the Jewish script, I mean, Jewish scriptures with some Aramaic and everyday spoken language of the time that's Aramaic and a very few in Greek the language of the international commerce just like we have English today in those days they used Greek as international the Aramaic at then in Jerusalem was the one the local one the everyday which they speak they, they speak now they include the commentaries written on the biblical text which the authors interpret the text explain its significance for their ongoing life the scholars are by and large convinced that these communities was made up of a group of jewish known as the, the uh, as the essence as the essence this i'll show you the characteristics of this of uh, uh, uh jewish reading the book it becomes clear that the essence community was filled of single celibate men who had devoted their lives to purity in light of their belief that they were living in already the technology of books, uh, the codex which we have seen. An important distinction for the history. A few minutes to go. Um, error six. The Jewish decorum during that time virtually forbid a Jewish man to be unmarried. Page 245 because Jesus was a Jew so he must have been married this is the the argument he was making that Jesus he didn't quote it from anywhere you understand but he was making the argument why Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene because he said that uh, Jewish decorum the social custom there forbid any Jewish man to stay unmarried but we just saw the the essence that document of the Dead Sea Scroll which was found clearly stated that that community was a community full of celibates. So how comes again you are saying Jewish forbade people to stay unmarried? You know that thing is very important to us now because it shows us a people who we are almost at the time of Jesus. That time where they existed was the time of Jesus. So that means there was something wrong and we have to clarify this. This is a case he made. I just copied this one from that particular page he said Jesus as a married man makes infinitely more sense look at the argument than our standard biblical view of Jesus as a bachelor why Sophia asks you know it's a novel then the person continue that's uh, the Langdon because G Jesus was a Jew Langdon said according 
to Jewish custom, celibacy was condemned. And the obligation for a Jewish father was to find a suitable wife for his son. If Jesus were not married, at least one of the Bible's Gospels would have mentioned it and offered some explanation for his unnatural state of bachelorhood. <laughs> now, this view that Jesus had an especially close relationship with Mary Magdalene has its ancient roots in some of our second and third century sources, such as the Gospel of Philip and the Gospel of Mary. We have something that we call in the nursery gospel the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. You understand? Although they never said directly that Jesus was married to Mary or to have had an intimate relationship with her. They didn't say that directly. But when you are reading it, the notion came from those Gospels. Now, but let's begin with the claim that Jesus, I mean, the Jewish decorum forbid Jewish to be unmarried. The ancient community behind the Dead Sea Scrolls was a Jewish community living at the time of Jesus known as the essence, which we have seen. As it turns out, according to the ancient record of the essence, they were predominantly single and celibate. This is a testimony of the Jewish sources from the time, such as the first century philosopher Philo, which also indicate that no essence take a wife. So it's not just only from this document. We have known it before now. You understand? That no essence takes a wife. And the historian, Jephthah, we know that man, right? Yes. Again, who, he also indicated that the essence shown marriage. This were document even aside this one we have found. So that means this group of Jewish people are largely celibate. So how do you claim that generally Jews eh, forbade anybody to stay unmarried? Where did you get it? So where did Don Brown get that Jewish decorum, that Jewish decorum during the time of Jesus forbade Jewish man to be unmarried? In record, both the canon and the non-canonical sources confirm Jesus' family. Because he was arguing that if Jesus was a bachelor, you understand that all the books of the Bible supposed to have clearly stated. But the issue is that he didn't read the Bible. You understand? The Bible tells us about Jesus' family, his mother, his father Joseph, his brothers, his sisters, his disciples are mentioned, his followers including women are mentioned, eh? The spouses of his followers are occasionally eluded. Huh? There is a reference to the wives of the apostles and the wives of Jesus' earthly brothers. Are we together? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. If there was, why would Jesus' wife never be mentioned? Because if, if the scripture go this detail to tell us all the people around him, their wives, their apostles, their distant, their distant, the question is that, if Jesus had a wife, would have, it would have been stated. Because all his family has been stated. Including his brothers, earthly brothers and their wives. How can you mention what is not there? That's the question I'm asking Dambra. I hope they will, they will hear me one of these days. You understand? To say Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene is unfounded and unreasonable. Very unreasonable. 
it is agreed that Mary Magdalene was called Ma Mary Magdalene was called Magdalene to differentiate her from the other Marys named in the New Testament, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha, and Lazarus. Magdalene indicates her place of origin, the town Magdala, a fishing village on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Why would she, if one wanted to differentiate this Mary from other Marys, if truly she was married to Jesus, why wouldn't she be indicated that this is the one to whom Jesus was married to, rather than to identify her from where she was coming from? It doesn't make sense. It is difficult and frustrating to think that Jesus was married, let alone to be married to Mary Magdalene. It will frustrate you. It will definitely frustrate you because you can't put it. The seventh error, the Dead Sea Scrolls were among the earliest Christian writings. We have already seen the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's completely wrong. It has nothing of the early church and the Christian writings. It's completely a Jewish writings. They were Dead Sea Scrolls. They were scrolls of the Jewish that community, the essence. Are we together? So this is completely uh, wrong. Error 8. He said Mary Magdalene's genealogy was of the house of Benjamin and of a royal descent. This man does not understand the, in, the structure of Israel. You understand? He doesn't even know which one is the royal uh, family. You understand? How can you combine Benjamin and the royal family? Mary Magdalene's family history is unknown because we didn't know she just appeared in a particular place. And there's no evidence of linking her to the house of Benjamin. That's the first one. Even if she were, she still wouldn't be of a royal descent. Are we together? Error number nine. And the last one. Mary Magdalene was pregnant at the time of the crucifixion. For the safety of Christ's unborn child, she had no choice but to flee the Holy Land with the help of Jesus' trusted uncle Joseph of Arimathea. Mary Magdalene secretly traveled to France, then known as Gaul. There she found safe refuge in the Jewish community. It was there in France that she gave birth to a daughter. Her name was Sarah. <laughs> You read this in page 255. So laughable. Now, there are some dynasty that has been claimed that they are claiming that they were the, the what do you call it? That they, <laughs> they are the generation of Jesus. You understand? The Merovingian dynasty claimed to be descend, to, to descend from Mary Magdalene as did John of Ark, as did the Stout Dynasty in Scotland and, uh, and, uh, and England. You understand? They claim that the Holy Grail was actually Mary's womb and now represent the so-called Holy Bloodline of the descendant of Jesus. 
there is no record anywhere about the life and the ministry of Jesus except in the canonical gospel. You know, incidentally, no any source, you understand, have record of Jesus' life and his ministry except the canonical uh, gospels. You can't find it anywhere. So the only way he can claim that Jesus was married, he would just have to be making some claims that I know in those days, no uh, Jewish who normally ban people, they, you know, they, 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 they shun bachelorhood. So likely, because of that, Jesus must have been married. That's a weak argument. It's a babyish argument. Hallelujah. Jesus had no descendants. Jesus had no descendant. This is not just some statement. The Jewish Tanakh and the Old Testament of the Christian Bible stated that in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 8, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without what? No one cared that he died without descendant, that his life was cut short in the midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So, we will stop here. And I believe by now, you must have been armed with a lot of information. You, you have to go and read because I try by all means to see that something that can fit into the time we have. But I so much to read in this direction about canonicity and all this. And it's important for us to know and to be armed with information. You understand? And this is one thing. I want to make this statement before we finish. Please, I want to encourage you believers that develop a passion for reading. Not just reading the Bible. This is one of the, if I ask some of us here about the history of our country, many of us are ignorant about it. We cannot even appreciate the problem of our countries now because we don't know what is going on. You cannot even see what is there. You can't even be, be positioned well to be a blessing to your nation if you don't understand and appreciate where the, that nation was coming. Please, by now, every believer, at least, you must be aware so much of the history of the Christianity and the history of canonicity. You must be aware of the history of your nation. You must be aware of the troubles of your nation. That's the only way you can be positioned very well to be able to appreciate the problems of your nation, to be able to be positioned to solve them. So don't be uh, like just used to say you are just, I don't even believe in that. This thing. You can't be truly heavily uh, conscious and not really be uh, uh, utterly relevant. Except your vision of heaven is, is not correctly listened. Because just like we saw yesterday, if you believe in Jesus, there is no how you will not know yourself. And you can, you can there is no how you will not, you will know yourself without being a blessing to your world. Are we together? Hallelujah. Can we pray?